Well, he is risen. There, there was a, a preacher, and he went and uh, he was visiting uh, an elderly person, and, and, and he sat down, and, and, and he, as he sat down, he, he saw a, a bowl of peanuts sitting on the table, and, and he asked the lady, he said, can I, can I have a couple peanuts? And she said, oh, yeah, by all means. And so as they talked, they talked for about an hour, uh, he, he realized that he ate the entire bowl of peanuts. Uh, and, and as he was getting up, he's like, I am, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that I ate all of your peanuts. And, and the lady looked at him and she said, oh, it's okay, pastor. Ever since I lost my teeth, I only sucked the chocolate off the peanuts. Today, today is a great day. It, it, it's the greatest day. Some of you are just getting it. Today's the day we celebrate. It, it's the greatest day of all time. It's a celebration of when Jesus Christ was brought back to life. It, it's when people, when, when people think of Easter, they sometimes think, uh, they think of the Easter bunny. They think of candy. They think of Easter baskets, lilies, flowers, family, and fun. In fact, I think we have a picture here. Let's see that, Jacob. Here's a letter from 2006. Dear Easter Bunny, what's going on? It's 502, and I hope you have a good Easter. And remember, it's not about you or candy. It's about Jesus rose again from the dead. Sincerely, Allie Chapman. We appreciate that thought, Allie. 2006, great words. And that's what today is all about. However, just like the preacher, just like the preacher finding out that there was more to the peanuts than what met the eye, there's more to this holiday than what our world has made it to be. Today we're going to dig into the Scripture. Uh, we're going to dig into the Scripture and see what the Bible, uh, how it really explains amazing grace. Amazing grace and how God changes the condition of the human life and, and how he, he, he takes us from one place to the next. Our worship team did an excellent job uh, of serving Jesus and, 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 and worshiping through him through song. And they brought forth our word uh, for today from Titus. And appreciate Julie for reading that. If you're like most people, especially in today's age, you love the before and after shows. I, I think of house renovations, the show Fixer Upper. Uh, I, I love watching how Chip and Joanne can take a house from looking like junk to looking amazing. Uh, how about those car restoration shows? I think of Fast and Loud. I was down in Dallas, Texas and visited uh, Grease Monkey Garage. And how they could take a, 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 a heap of metal and turn it into a hot rod. You know, when we think of before and after, we think about uh, our bodies. We think about diets. In fact, America is crazy about diets. We, we, we think about it all the time. 50% of women at any given time are on a diet. Probably 100% of men should be on a diet. 90% of teens are consistently on some type of diet. 
In fact, in 2004, there was a study that 43 billion, that's billion with a B, 43 billion dollars was spent on diets, on diet programs, and on weight loss surgery. 43, $46 billion. If you want to be one type of athlete today and you want to become a, a, a different type of athlete tomorrow, you train. You get in the weight room, you go to the court, the field, the, the track, and, and you, you prepare and you practice, and it becomes a before and after situation. Well, there's another before and after that I want to look at today. And that's our condition of who we are before we knew Jesus Christ in our life and after we knew Jesus Christ in our life. And that's what Easter is all about. That's absolutely what Easter is all about. It's about the grace of God. And that's why we're talking about this scripture on this particular week. You see, in Titus, Paul, who is the author of Titus, uh, he, he, wanted, he wanted to um, help his readers, Titus and the church, he wanted to help them understand uh, of uh, why uh, they had to obey the previous things that he gave. He gave a, he gave a, a, a list in chapter 2 in Titus, a list of things that he really wanted them to focus in on. Being submissive to authorities, obedient in demeanor, doing good works, speaking kindly to and about others, being gentle and courteous. And so that's what Paul's trying to, trying to do. And he's trying to, what he's going to do is he's going to take uh, Titus and the church, and he's going to take them and he's going to look at their past. He's going to remind them, ah, you've been a little shaky in the past. You've got to remember that. I think about that for myself. I've been shaky in the past. I'm shaky now. But I, I, I've had some shaky things in, in my past. And I know many of you uh, have uh, heard from Pastor Tim Badal as well. He has some shaky things. Pastor Dave, he has shaky things. And that's the beauty of God. We could have a, a tremendous before story. And tremendous means it could be any number of things. But God does miraculous work in our lives. Absolutely miraculous things. And, and Paul wanted to remind Titus and the church that they've come a long way. They've come a long way. I, I don't think any of my teachers in grade school would have thought that I'd be preaching in front of a group of people on Easter Sunday. Come a long way. You see, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you actually hand it over to him, your life has changed. You actually become a new creation. More about that later. First thing we want to look at today uh, with your outline is to understand what our condition was before God's grace. To understand what our condition was before God's grace. And, and that's another way of saying there are some things that ruled our life before we gave our life to Jesus Christ. There were some things that just had control of us before we were saved. And the list that Paul gives in Titus chapter 3, it's not all inclusive. It's not all inclusive. It doesn't include everything. And you know what? Some of those things you may have struggled with, or you may struggle with, and some of those things you've never touched. But Paul, if, if you really wanted to be a student 
wanted to be academic to understand why Paul's given this particular list, you literally look at chapter 2 and you see that it's exact uh, in contrast with that positive list that he was given. Paul says several things here to Titus and to the church, and, and I want to reread it. It's only one sentence long in Titus 3.3 3, where he talks about these things uh, that, that he wants them to be thinking about from their past. Titus 3.3 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. What a list. What a list of things that, that Paul's identifying who we were before we gave our life to Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to go through them all in tremendous detail, but I do want to highlight a few of them. First one, let's look at the first, foolish in our understanding. Foolish in our understanding. You see, before we bowed our knee to the King of Kings, before we bowed our knee to, to Jesus Christ, we, we lacked wisdom. We lacked wisdom in understanding God's ways. We, we couldn't have known God's ways. We hadn't given our life to Jesus Christ in Scripture. It has many ways of actually defining the word foolishness. Foolishness. We use it in different ways in today's time. But Scripture defines it as when someone is reliant on their personal wealth. That's foolishness. Failing to recognize that Jesus is your God and Savior. <clears throat> foolishness. But when you turn the gospel, the good news, into a God from a gospel of grace to a gospel of legalism, of, of jobs that you have to do in order to be saved. When you start worshiping the creature rather than the creator. These are all things that scripture identifies as foolish. You know, one of, one of the stories that I think about when I think of foolishness is I think about uh, the two builders. Do you remember the two builders who were trying to build, they wanted to build a house? And, and one was wise and one was foolish. The wise builder, he built this house on what? On the rock. He built it on the rock. So when the winds came and, and, and the rain was, was pouring down on it, it didn't fall over. But what did the foolish on the sand? The foolish person built their, built their house on the sand because that was going to be fun. That was going to be exciting and beachfront but when the winds came and the rains came it all flooded away it was foolishness and foolishness doesn't mean that you're a jerk it doesn't mean that you're a jerk it doesn't mean that you're not smart there's many people who are foolish that that aren't jerks and that are brilliant it just means that you haven't heard the call of the Lord yet. You haven't heard the call of Jesus Christ because your life right now isn't built upon the rock, built upon Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in the verse to say that the condition of a person before God's grace consisted of each of us, here's a whole list of them, disobedient to the rules, deceived by others, slaves to our lusts, angry and envious, and finally, hateful and hated. Hateful and hated. Disobedient, well, that, that refers 
to a person being rebellious towards anything uh, instituted by the authority of God. But, well, you, you throw Scripture out. Scripture doesn't, it isn't true. Script, scripture is just a bunch of lies. That, that's, what, that's what somebody who's a fool will do. Somebody who's wise will dig into the Scriptures. We'll, we'll read the scriptures. We'll try to understand what their meaning in the scriptures. That's, that's what a wise person does. Deceived is when someone continuously is led deeper and deeper into sin. And this is what, what Satan loves. He loves guiding you deeper into sin. And that, that's, that's something that starts spiraling out of control. We see that with, with teens a lot. I'm sure Dave, Pastor Dave, has talked to many people in prison who have just been deceived and, 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 and has gone deeper and deeper, and, and it just keeps happening. Maybe, maybe you took a little bit of money from the register when you were working, and you're going to pay it back. I knew of a guy who, who he took, he was working at a gas station, and he took a scratch-off ticket. And he, he, was, he was one of the workers, and he lost. So what did he do? Ripped off another scratch-off ticket. Lost. Ripped off another one. Two dollars. Now he's only down a dollar. Let's do it again. And he did it over and over and over and over until it was hundreds of dollars in the hole. Occasionally he'd hit a hundred-dollar one and, and get close. But that's, that's a great picture of what this is, where you just go deeper and deeper and deeper. If you're a slave to your lusts, you're constantly handing over control of your fleshly appetites. Of your sexual appetites, your, your uh, desire for food, all kinds of things. You're just, you're, you're just giving over to your lusts of your life. Then there's the angry and ever envious part. You know, so many people, so many people in this world, they just seem angry. And I don't know why. I, I don't know if it has to do, if, if, you, work at the, if you work at the DMV, <laughs> you, you have to be angry. You know, I went to, in Indiana when we got our driver's license, I went to their DMV. I don't know what it was called. I don't think it was DMV, but I went there. And I'll tell you what, they were the nicest people in the world. And, and I, I literally asked them, I said, why are you guys so nice? Because, I mean, I just kill, I kill the DMV people with kindness every time I go to them, just trying to get a smile. That's my goal, one smile. If I can get one smile, I've, I've succeeded. And, and the Indiana people go, oh, we're just thankful for a job. I said, well, by golly, that's good. But people are angry. People have a spirit of anger. And that's sin. When you don't understand who Jesus Christ is, when you really don't have that, you, you may not be angry, but a lot of times there is anger built in. More than that, people are envious. People are envious. They're truly never satisfied with what they have. They always are looking at somebody else and saying, wow, I wish I had that. You ever been to Best Buy and seen that 77-inch curved Samsung TV? 
ooh, that's sweet. I wish I had that. You know, that's our human flesh. And, and it's hard to deal with those emotions. When you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Did I mention that even though this, this is a list of things that, that people struggle with uh, before they give their life, even people who love Jesus can be battling these exact same things. They can be battling these exact same things. You see, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Finally, Paul touches on hateful and hating. And this is the natural fruit of everything that I've said already. These are the natural things that come. You become hateful. And actually, you start hating one another. This kind of life, it makes a person mean-spirited and very hard to get along with. And when this happens, a person walks life without love to their fellow man. Here's the deal, though. I know of many, many people who do not know Jesus Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And yet they are kind. They're super nice. You know what? They, they love their neighbor. They, they love giving stuff to people. They're extremely generous. But they have no clue about Jesus. Some people have never even heard about Jesus. You see, it was about 2,000 years ago. There lived a man, unlike any other human being ever. And he was absolutely perfect. He was perfect in every way. He never broke one commandment. He, he, he obeyed God perfectly in everything that he did. He spent a few years teaching about what God uh, has done and teaching about the good news. And he was crucified on a cross. He was crucified on a cross. He knew that he had done nothing wrong at all. And he also knew that if he wanted to, he could have prevented it. He could have got down from the cross or he could have not even been taken to the cross. But he died. And he died a horrific death. Prior to going to the cross, you see, he was beat. And he was flogged. They took whips that had bones connected to it. Like glued, we'll call it, tarred to it. And where they'd whip his back. And, and those, those bone chips would, would go into his skin. And, and he'd, they'd rip it off. Rip the skin back. And they took thorns huge thorns and they put it on top of his head and, and smashed it down so it was going deep into his skull because people called him the king of the Jews and then they nailed him to a cross they nailed both his, both his hands they nailed both of his feet and he was there on the cross until eventually he suffocated because you can't breathe when you're on the cross. You know what? Scary thing is, that wasn't even the worst of it. 
It wasn't even the worst of the pain that he went through. The worst of it was the fact that while he was on the cross, Jesus finally accepted the fact that God, God the Father, he turned his back on him. He, he, he put, God put every sin on Jesus at one moment. Every sin that had ever been committed and that you and I have committed and, and passed us. Every sin was put on Jesus at that moment. And this is why Jesus says on the cross, you remember this? Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus was forsaken. Uh, that means abandoned. He wasn't abandoned by just his disciples. He was abandoned by God. It, 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 was, it was God himself that delivered him, uh, delivered Jesus up to Judas. It, it was God himself that delivered him to the Jews. It was God himself who delivered him to Pontius Pilate and to the cross. It was at that moment that the ears of God were closed. Everything stopped. There was no more mocking. The demons weren't taunting. The angels weren't cheering. But the pain, it just kept coming. Jesus wasn't reminded at that moment by his father, you are my son. There wasn't a dove that flew off and reminded everyone that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were one. And the angels weren't there to give him strength. Jesus was on the cross, absolutely alone and forsaken. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? Jesus actually became sin. He took it all on. And you know what? He needed to. Jesus had to do that. Because if he didn't, we couldn't. You and I, we would have never had an appropriate sacrifice that would have satisfied what, what was required by God. Remember this whole... This whole little side conversation I'm having is all about the commentary of, of that nice person. Because there are tremendous people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There are tremendous people that don't even know who Jesus is. They're super nice, they're kind, they're generous. However, Scripture's absolutely clear that no matter how nice you are, no matter how kind you are, no matter how generous you are, that you've fallen short of what God absolutely requires. No one, no one but Jesus had a life that was lived perfectly. If you have done one tiny thing, one tiny thing that's against God's requirements, you have earned God's wrath. That's amazing to think about. However, God made a way for you and for me to get an absolutely free gift. An absolute free gift 
And this is the gift of grace that takes place of our suffering. What was that gift? Jesus Christ. That's, that's why he had to go to the cross. He, that's why he had to suffer. Sin required a blood sacrifice. It was absolutely required. And Jesus was the perfect lamb. And he was the only one who could wholly and finally satisfy this need. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your condition, your, your life condition has actually changed. This is the after. The before you gave your life to Jesus Christ to the after. Not because of you, but because of God's grace. Because of God's grace, we are saved by his mercy. We are saved by his mercy. Look at verse 4 and 5 of today's scripture. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. I mentioned it earlier. It wasn't because we did anything. It wasn't because Pastor Phil, man, he just really, he was on the ball. And he did some great things. And now he has earned his way. He gave a whole bunch of money to that group over there. No, it wasn't because of anything I've done. It's because, we're not, it's because of God's mercy. And he is merciful. Let, let's, say, let's say you're driving through Waterman and, and you were doing 38 miles an hour. And we know if you're driving through Waterman at 38 miles an hour, you're going to get stopped. Jerry knows that. <laughs> okay, so let's say there was a new rule. New rule. If you speed... In this one section, you have an automatic, mandatory, minimum sentence of 18 months in prison. Waterman might make that rule. And so, so you're driving along. We'll use Sherry as an example. Well, Sherry's driving along. She's driving 38 miles an hour. And it's in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. And, and, and here comes Barney Fife, pulls her over. And he says, oh, you were doing 38 miles an hour. She's like, I know. He cuffs her and he takes her in. Okay? And, and they go, and, and then she has her court date in two days. She comes in, I'm sure, rocking a, a pink jumpsuit. <laughs> and, and, and so she's there, and, and, and the judge says, please stand. And she's standing there, and he's like, you were speeding in Waterman in the no-speed zone, and you know this carries a minimum 18 months in prison. Yeah, I know, I know. He's like, all right, we're going to just keep it at that minimum, 18 months in prison. And he lifts up his gavel, and he's just about to hit it down, and right then, the back doors open up of the courtroom. And who... And who's coming in the back doors? Not me. <laughs> it's the judge's son. And, and the son comes walking all the way up to the front. He taps the table and 
looks at Sherry, gives her a nod, and he goes all the way to the front, and he starts whispering some stuff to his father, who's the judge. And then the judge says, well, Sherry Chapman, you have 18 months in mandatory prison, but my son has volunteered to serve the time for you. And then he hits the gavel. That, that is mercy. Sherry didn't deserve that. But that's mercy. Scripture continues and says, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us so richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul declares that there's three important parts of salvation here. The rebirth, the renewal, and justification. I titled the first part of those two, Regenerated and Renewed. You see, just as a baby is born into the world, where we have a, a brand new creation, and, and everyone could see that, so it is you. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're born again. That's the rebirth and the regeneration. You literally, you, you've been regenerated and renewed from the inside out. And more importantly, because of what Jesus Christ, what he did for you when he died on the cross, and, and when he rose again on that beautiful Easter morning, you can be fully justified. That's absolutely crucial. That right there is what Easter's all about in the sense of that is why he had to be raised from the dead. That's the only way we could be justified. What in the world is justification anyway? Well, it's the moment that we were saved. It's when we enter into a time where we find actual favor with God. It's when we move from the wrath being upon us before our conversion to the wrath no longer on us because of our faith and union with Christ. John Piper says, justification is the way the Bible describes that one moment. Justification is the act by which God says, I no longer count you guilty. I count you as righteous with the righteousness of my son. That's a saving moment clustered with the call. And with that, with that comes the absolute promise that we are going to be heirs, that we're going to be heirs to eternal life. That's pretty cool. You see, today is a happy day, just like the song that we sang. Today's a happy day uh, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to be saved, to be renewed, to be justified. Uh, we, we don't have to live a life that's centered around hate and anger. We don't have to continuously uh, give into life's worldly pleasures. We don't have to be foolish any longer. We have a clear message about Jesus Christ. 
you know, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know who Jesus was until I was a junior in high school. I didn't know who he was. No one really took the time to explain who Jesus really was. Finally, there was that warm summer night. I was at my friend's house, and I heard all about this Jesus character. I heard about how he loved me and, and that he did stuff for me, even dying for me. I was amazed that someone would love me that much. How could someone love Phil Chapman for the things he had already done at that point? So much that, that he'd sacrifice everything he had. You see, I was a pretty good kid. I obeyed my parents sometimes. I had a lot of friends at school. Life was going pretty well. And you know what? Compared to those kids down the street, I wasn't too bad. I held doors at the grocery store. That was nice. But I was flawed. I had flaws. And I don't think I realized I had flaws until, until that night. Uh, when, when, when I finally was convicted and humbled, and frankly, I was excited. After Janae told me all about who Jesus was, I walked back. We, were, we lived two houses away. I went to 308 East Taylor Street, which no longer exists. And I went in that back side door, went up the steps, took a quick right, right up the steps, and went in my bedroom. And it was there I got on my knees. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I asked Jesus, just take over my life. I can't believe what you've done for me. I can't believe that you would sacrifice yourself for me. I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm amazed at what you offer. And you know, God's grace came upon me. I became a different person. I became a new creation at that moment. You know, there, there weren't any bells going off. No angels came in, the, in my room and started singing. Lights weren't blaring. No music, nothing. But it was weird. God reached into my mouth and he plucked out the profanity that I always spoke. And he just ripped that profanity out of my mouth. It, it, I, I, don't, I can't explain that. I went from swearing frequently to not swearing in that moment. I became a new creation. And you know what? At that moment... I became an heir to the kingdom of God. That's a good thing. Maybe you haven't bowed your knee to, to Jesus Christ. You know, you don't even have to bow your knee, and, and that, that could be more metaphorical. 
You could be sitting in a chair, laying in a bed, and asking Jesus Christ to take over your life. I was just talking with a young man. It was just about a year ago he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Maybe this message helped clear up why we celebrate this fantastic holiday, as we call it here in America, Easter. Why do we celebrate Easter? Because of Jesus Christ. I invite you today to ask God to change your life, to absolutely affect your life forever. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And you know what? Jesus was raised from the dead. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We give you all the glory for all that we have, for all that we um, have been given. Thank you for the salvation uh, that you offer us. You know, God, as we sit here, maybe there's someone who needs to bow their knee to you. Maybe they, they, they want to worship you. And they don't know how. But Lord, maybe they could, they could pray similar to how I prayed back when I was a junior in high school. Dear God, it's all about you. I'm so thankful for what you have done for me. I'm so thankful for the salvation that you offer by dying on the cross, by being raised from the dead. I know that I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? Would you teach me? Would you help me to serve you, Jesus? Well, Jesus, we love you so much. And we're so thankful for this Easter celebration where you have been risen. Everything's about you, Jesus. Everything's for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.